Well, top of the morning to you. Uh, this is our key market drivers call for uh, Tuesday, the 17th of May. Uh, for those listening in on the call this week that uh, are more uh, oil centric and other commodities, it might be a little bit of a light week. This is uh, what we would call a weekly a uh, lot going on in the wheat space, and uh, Scott will spend a good bit of time trying to explain that to us. Uh, but always, as we start out here, if any questions come up in your mind uh, while we're talking, while you're listening to the podcast, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can see the uh, contact info here uh, on your screen. So let's get into it. Um, uh, quite a bit going on here, but a lot of smaller stuff really outside of the wheat space. And, and the, the bigger items this week have really been... Uh, have come really in the wheat space itself. Um, the big news, India banning wheat exports, uh, that really kind of, that happened, I think, this past Saturday. Scott will talk about that and what some of the implications might mean uh, to the world export market. We also got our WASD, I believe it was last Thursday, our May WASD. Uh, that is the WASD, as you know, that the USDA gives us their first peak uh, at the new balance sheets for the coming crop year, the 22-23 crop year, and uh, really not a whole lot there in the soy complex and corn, but a pretty bullish report on the wheat side. So uh, we seem to have this wheat market rolling north again. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Scott here in just a second. I did have a couple other items that I thought worthy of uh, discussion here. Uh, before we get into that, we got some more inflation data last week. The UN Food Price Index uh, uh, came out for the month of April. It was off slightly. It was off about eight tenths of one percent, but it's still hovering near uh, kind of record levels. We also got the USDI, USDA, or excuse me, uh, the US uh, CPI data for April uh, was up for uh, eight point three percent in total. The food index was up uh, nine point four percent. And this is really the largest increase in both of those, uh, the, the total CPI and the food CPI since uh, 1981. So inflation uh, is, is still raging, which kind of brings me to another item. There was an interesting Reuters article out yesterday um, uh, saying that the White House is said to be mulling um, inflation versus farmers in the new biofuels policy. Remember, um, a couple of weeks ago, we told you that the uh, EPA had delivered the uh, final RBOs for 2021 and 2022 to the for the white to the White House uh, for review before they're released. They promised again uh, to release those to us by June 3rd. Uh, and it's just interesting. I thought the article was telling. We've thought for some time that there could be a possibility here that uh, maybe we lift our foot out of the throttle just a little bit, uh, as some other countries have done. Uh, Bill, as you know, that uh, we work quite closely with, doesn't believe that there's a significant chance of that. But um, I guess as the movie line goes, what you're saying is that there's a chance. So uh, we'll see what uh, what comes out of that. Um, also, uh, wanted to kind of update you on the palm oil situation. Uh, the ban in Indonesia, as you know, has been a, a, a kind of a big market uh, apple cart upset, if you will, uh, here in recent weeks. Um, palm oil three weeks ago was up 185 bucks. Last week, I told you it was down 175. This past week, we're down another 80. That's another almost 5%. The ban is still on. Yesterday was a, a Malaysian palm oil holiday, so we didn't get market prices. But um, the market really believes we're going to see some resolution this week. Um, now we've got protests. What started all this was protests. The food price is too high. 
Now we have protests in Indonesia by the farmers because not only have palm oil fruit prices dropped, uh, palm fruit prices have dropped, but some of the mills are actually have their tanks full. They have shut down and they've actually stopped taking the fruit in. So now we've got the farmers protesting. The tanks seem to be pretty close to full and um, many in the market in the palm oil space believe we might see, uh, likely to see some resolution to this whole, whole issue here uh, this week. And on the price front, there is some positive news, uh, at least if you're interested in the Dorab Mysteries forecast. Uh, he believes that we'll see Malaysian palm oil prices fall to um, about $1,150 a ton by June and below 1000 by September. Uh, that seems to be a bit of a pipe dream at this point, but um, there's a forecast for those who are looking for lower prices. And I think with that, Scott, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit here about uh, this Indian wheat ban, uh, what you think that means to the world market, and then I'm going to let you roll right into the uh, the wheat part of the WASDI. So. Well, I, I think uh, the first thing we can say about it is that it's a, um, some people were calling it a bit of a flip-flop. Um, if you remember, there were some rumors of an Indian wheat ban as uh, early as, uh, uh, you know, the 1st of May, kind of back in that first weekend. Um, there were some rumors over that particular weekend, uh, over the 30th and the 1st. The Indian government came out, I believe it was either on Tuesday or Thursday of that week and said, wait a minute, we're not going to ban anything. Well, 10 days later, because this news came out a little over 10 days, I well, guess. Didn't they come out and reiterate their eight and a half million metric ton export forecast when they when they came back out. Right. Where they changed when they first did that. And actually, they, they had been talking about more exports higher than that even. But this past weekend on Saturday is when they kind of dropped the bomb. They said, we're going to we're banning exports. And there really wasn't much in the way of, of uh, more detail about that. It's just simply that they were banning their exports. Obviously, the the marketplace reacted pretty uh, bullishly because of that. Um, but, you know, it's a couple of things going on there. First of all, they, they've, they've got high energy prices there at home in India. Uh, they have rampant inflation, just like everywhere else. And now, because of this bad drought that they've been experiencing right at the end of their wheat uh, crop, um, their their crop that was um, expected to be yet another, maybe possibly the sixth record production in a row, somewhere around 110, 111 million tons, is now somewhere you know south of 105. Uh, USDA WASD numbers came out. You know, last week, as Dave mentioned, um, and they've got uh, India pegged at um, uh, 108 and a half, and that's still too high at this point. It would seem that it's probably 105 or lower. As far as their exports go, um, today the, the, the story is a little bit different than it was Saturday. Um, it, it is not a, an absolute ban. Um, in fact, they're calling it in some ways kind of temporary. Anything that had already been contracted or that they had um, uh, lines of credit uh, produced for already, that wheat will continue to go. Um, Egypt has already secured a contract for, I think, a half a million or a million tons of wheat from India, and that will continue to go. So and we're not talking about, um, and let me back up just a little bit. They So last year's crop was, just shy of 110 million, 109.6, they did 8.1 million tons of export. 
Okay, that was 21-22. Beginning this year, 22-23, now USDA is at 108.5. I've told you that's probably too high. Uncle Sam's got them pegged for 8.5 million tons, and there's that same figure that you mentioned, Dave. Uh, most analysts that, that I'm paying attention to are saying that that's probably going to still be um, some exports, something in the neighborhood of around four, four and a half, something like that. So we're not talking about a tremendous, we're not going to lose all of those bushels in the world market. Um, they think that uh, India will continue to, to move some of that wheat in the world market. In fact, what's already got earmarked to go out is, is close to, to a million and a half or two. So it's not a heavy lift at this point. Uh, but India is going to protect their uh, their population, they got to make sure that they have enough food to eat. And, and that's probably an inflation play, too. You, you restrict exports and the domestic price often drops. And so I think maybe that's a lot of countries we've seen do that. They'll add an export tax or they'll ban exports for some period. That's what Indonesia is trying to do. They're just basically trying to force the domestic price through oversupply domestically. Right. Remember that they are India is the world's second largest producer of wheat. OK. Um, but they they export precious little until as of late. Remember, they've got over a billion people yeah, there. Yeah. Um, they're looking at record high prices right in the face. So that's the one thing. The second thing you see here is is the WASDI. We got the WASDI out last Thursday. Um, and, you know, if, if we boil it down to one story on the WASDI, it would be a bullish wheat story. Um, you see there, look at that, that first um, uh, well, it's not the first column. It's the, kind of the second column there. It finishes up last year, the 21-22 crop year, the marketing year finished in May. You can see there that Uncle Sam finishes the year at 655 million bushels. That's probably 30 million less than the average trade guesses. Um, it's down about 23 million bushels from last month. Um, you see there that the exports actually went up in the last month of the year. We went from 785 in April up to 805. Um, Bill's number uh, ended up being at 800. Um, he was at 820 not too long ago. Yeah, we told you, I think, a month or two ago on the WASDI that we were surprised with the pace data that the USDA went down to 785. Yeah. Only to have to revise it back up. Seems like a bit of a zigzag, but... A little, little bit un, uh, uncommon for the USDA. But. Yeah, a little bit. But I think the, uh, the the bigger fireworks obviously are in this, you know, uh, the far right column. That That is the first cut, the first official look at the 22-23 crop year. A couple of things stick out. First, the production line up there at the top, 1.729 billion bushels. Hey, great, we're up 5% versus last year. Well, that's true. We are up 5% versus a year ago, but that number is, we were expecting something north of 10% increase over last year. So well, last year's spring wheat crop was a train wreck. Right. And so we, we see a, a big, big difference there. Um, when you kind of peel down through that, the on the production side, we uh, Uncle Sam really hammered the hard red winter wheat crop. And I'll get to that a little bit more in detail uh, on the next slide, but 590 million bushels on the hard red winter wheat, um, that's 95 million bushels below the average trade guesses. Yes. The uh, softwood red winter wheat was kind of right in line where it 
where it needed to be. The spring wheat, which we don't get split out on the buy class, um, is is more than double of what it was a year ago. But that's to be expected given um, uh, the, the the very very poor conditions we had last year. Um, the next thing you come to is the exports down there, 775. They're taking that number down versus this past year, as, as you can see. It's interesting that Bill's number for this coming year is at 970. It's huge difference between the uh, Uncle Sam and, and Bill right now. So we end up the day here at 619 uh, million bushels of ending stocks. Bill's all the way down at 483, a very extremely you know, terrifyingly tight 483 million bushels. I suggest that it's probably someplace in the middle. Is the USDA just trying not to scare us early here? Because That's it's part of it. To, it's hard to see an export number lower than last year with what's likely to be a shortfall out of India with what's going on in the Black Sea. Um, I mean, it just, it seems difficult that our exports would actually drop. Well, but at the same time, you have to also look, I think, at uh, you, you can't turn your head away from the current price uh, uh, price valuations yeah, right now, and we are not competitive. Our soft red winter wheat is becoming more competitive, but we're still way out of whack uh, uh, compared to the world market. So I think that's got to play something into it as well. When you go to the next slide, um, you see there uh, some highlights from the hard red winter wheat. Um, uh, uh, on on the uh, on the WASD, it's the smallest crop at 590 since 1963. Obviously, our conditions are really really poor. We went back down to 27 uh, percent, good to excellent on the uh, uh, total winter wheat right now. Um, also, you can see there on the uh, percent of harvested. There's a lot of this. Um, crop, especially in That's Texas, Oklahoma, Texas Oklahoma, right. a little bit in southwest Kansas that is going to be just just not harvested at all. You see there that not even a quarter of the Texas crop is going to get harvested. Um, when And then you look at uh, uh, Oklahoma, just a little over half. Um, when you look at, uh, I did the numbers uh, on the total um, uh, winter wheat crop, it's around 78.5% if you're just looking at the USDA numbers. But if you split out and look at the hard red winter wheat numbers, uh, it's just a little over um, that 71, 71.5% harvested. So um, it's it's not uh, the, the, the first blush uh, here at the 22-23 crop is, is not a very good one. Don't we have the uh, uh, Quality Council out in Kansas yep, this week call. or next week? No, nope, that starts today, actually. actually it, it, okay. They gathered last night and they heard of, uh, you know, people talking this, that, and the other. Now they split up for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we'll get the final either on Thursday afternoon or on Friday. Okay. So, um, again, that's all Kansas, just a touch into Oklahoma and a touch into uh, Nebraska. Um, it'll be uh, um, widely watched here throughout the rest of this. Okay, week. we'll have that uh, information for you uh, next week. Do you want to talk at all about the, this winter? Uh, you know, real quick, I guess on, on the top there, that's wheat by class. That just finishes up this last year. We don't get another by class until July. So for this coming year. So uh, enough said about that. On the world. Uh, you see there that our world, uh, the, the big story there, I think, is that our stocks 
ending stocks in the world now have declined three straight years in a row. A lot of numbers. That's the one he's talking about, right? Yeah, there. that's the one we're talking about. Uh, from the production side of thing, we're down five year over year on production. Our use is off just a little bit, uh, two and a half million uh, uh, tons. And then exports are up about five million tons. The big guys uh, uh, from a uh, country standpoint, they've got Russia pegged at 80 and 39 million tons of exports, Ukraine at 21 and a half. There's that kind of same 60% uh, number that everybody's been talking about production wise. And they've got uh, uh, Ukraine pegged for 10 on their exports. They, were, they did 19 this past year. Uh, we talked about India already, Australia moving back to 30. Uh, which is still a big crop for them, but that's down uh, from their big, super huge record last year of 36 and doing 24 million exports out of Australia. All right. So, well, thank you, Scotty. I won't uh, spend uh, an enormous amount of time here on the rest of the velocity. There's your corn balance sheet. Uh, you can see declining stocks next year. Um, again, this is going to be, th this was not really different than what the trade was looking for, maybe a little bit higher than the trade was looking for, but really what the, the only, the only discussion here was this 177 average crop yield is below trend yields, which are closer to 180 and a half or 181, depending on exactly how many years and what kind of average you're running. Year. Right. And so that was a, quite the surprise. I mean, the USDA traditionally just gives us a trend line yield in May. So is it is it the late planting? That's probably the bigger part of it. Uh, I have theorized that maybe it has something to do with where we lost the acres and the USDA doing a, a state by state trend line average and just having a bit fewer acres in some of the bigger yielding states. Uh, at this point, we don't know the answer to that, but again, it is very, very out of character. Um, the USDA did this, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago where they reduced it in May. Uh, and I believe the unofficial comment out of the USDA was, well, we ain't doing that again because they turned around and had to start raising the rest of the way because of all the moisture. So not sure about that. But again, really at the bottom line number is really not all that different than the trade was looking for. And, and ditto that on uh, soybeans. The soybean balance sheet here on the top, 310, actually with the big acreage base. Uh, on soybeans, uh, the USDA we, is forecasting um, stocks to rise on beans. Um, but again, th the big thing on these crops is is the next three months weather. Uh, it's getting this crop in the ground, which we made great progress on this past week. I'll show you that in a second. Um, but it's also, um, it's going to be really weather. Uh, uh, it's going to be weather, weather, weather here the next three months. So as it always is this time of the year. The soybean oil balance sheet on the bottom, a little bit interesting. Uh, USDA, you can see they're going to back up to 12 billion pounds of soybean oil used to make biofuel this year. Uh, that's going to be largely determined by what they tell us on the, uh, the mandates uh, coming down the pipe here in the next week or two. So that'll be interesting to see. They've got a decline in food use. Um, why did they take food use down? Well, I think some of the rationale might be a, a normal canola crop would give us uh, potentially more canola oil. They're also forecasting more palm oil coming in. You know, uh, they also have a bit of an unwritten rule at the USDA not to show us a scary soybean oil balance sheet this early in the game. And they might be just kind of massaging the numbers a little bit. Who knows? But the U.S. stocks dropped into about 1.7. That doesn't give us, that's an adequate supply, but certainly doesn't give us uh, really a whole lot of safety stocks. Um, 
a whole lot of safety stocks if we do, would have any problems. So uh, on this slide, this is very interesting. I'll get into kind of planting progress here and, and wrap it up for us. Um, I think I told you last week that the largest amount of corn as a percentage of the total crop that we've ever planted in a single week nationally was 43%. These are, this is the state by state data. And the thing that's amazing when you look at this, uh, how fast some of these bigger producing states can toss a crop in the ground. Uh, Iowa there at 64%, Illinois at 57%. You see the big number there in Minnesota. Um, we can throw this crop in, in the ground in a gigantic hurry. And, you know, we made some pretty good progress this week. We didn't get to these sort of numbers after a little bit of a slow start, but uh, uh, I'll show you those in a second. I thought this was a pretty interesting slide, too. Um, this is kind of planting progress. Scott, why don't you keep... Yeah, this is this is basically you see that percent planted. Now this is corn on the left and soybeans on the right. But it, what it's telling you is as of that first week of May, what we're looking at now, and then what the five-year average was, and it kind of shows you, you know, some some places we're well behind, um, you know, what would be our normal five-year average pace. And again, these are your top five producers. But this is also last week's data, not yesterday's. Yep. Yep. Um, we made some some pretty tremendous progress here. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. Here's your UN food price index slide for those of you who want to look at that. I'm not going to really spend any time on it. Let's talk about planting. Made a tremendous amount of ground up. Um, still not caught up. We are still behind. We've got almost half of our corn crop planted at 49%. And you did a quarter of it last week. We did a quarter of it last week, and that's after a little bit of a slow start. Um, I think the other thing that maybe uh, slowed us up, I thought we might be 50 to 55% this week. Um, we showed you the great forecasts a week ago. I'll show you the rain maps here in just a second. But midweek last week, uh, the U.S. weather model runs started putting moisture back in the forecast. Uh, certainly the second week out that I showed you last week looked nice and dry. The, the U.S. weather model runs that second week have put bit, a good bit of moisture back in. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what we actually get because the European model didn't. Yeah. The European model just kept it, you know, what would be next week or this week has kept it pretty dry. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, which of those weather models that are starting to uh, uh, spread pretty far apart on their, their rain forecast here. But still not anywhere near caught up, but we're we're gaining ground. 30% of our bean crop is in, that's nine ticks behind the five-year average. And again, beans really aren't an issue uh, at this point. Scott, why don't you talk about the uh, winter wheat conditions and spring wheat planting here, and then I'll get into the weather models and we'll let everybody get going. Yeah, as I change this up a little bit, I moved the good to excellent uh, from Uncle Sam and NAS there, I moved that over. You see that um, nationally, um, we went uh, back to 27 a percent good to excellent. And then I added that uh, a little picture on the right there. That's from Karen Braun. She works for Reuters and she, this was a little tweet that she sent out yesterday. So I cut that table out. Um, she's again, just taking the USDA NAS data. But um, as you look down through those 18 uh, uh, major wheat producing states, okay. And then look at the change, the far right column, the, the change of the five year average versus what those conditions were yesterday and you and you roll down through there and there's a lot of red or pink in there uh that that's not very uh, uh pretty to look at 
Certainly the ones that stick out are Montana, Oklahoma, uh, South Dakota, Texas, uh, where we know it's very, very dry. Even Nebraska at 30, we're at 28% good to excellent. It's not great by any stretch, but you know, I dare say it might be decent from a, a, a hard red wheat condition standpoint, but we're 30 ticks behind the five-year average. Uh, Montana, you see they're 50% behind the five-year average. So uh, again, it's a, it's a west versus east, hard wheat versus soft wheat kind of a deal. Uh, spring wheat planting, again, would have liked to see a little more progress here. We only went up 12% week over week, but finally got North Dakota, which is your big producer. We finally got them in the double digits. Got them on the board. Finally got them on the board. Um, you still haven't done hardly anything in Minnesota. Uh, that's just because it is so doggone wet up there. Normally, you see their Minnesota is at 75% in the ground already. So yeah, the northern plains are still um, um, won't repeat the uh, term that was used to describe the planting progress up there, but it's it is a uh, it is a, a real mess. Some of the other crops we're having, I mean, that goes up into Canada. North Dakota's only got two percent of their canola in the ground. Now that goes in the ground after spring wheat. They're normally eighteen percent planted, or they were last year. They're normally about fifteen percent planted uh, by now. Canadian prairie, same way. Manitoba is barely on the board at less than 1%. Of, this is their total crop, not just canola. That's how they report most of it. Manitoba is just not even on the board yet. They're typically got 18% of their sowings in, or they had 18 last year and 21% is the five-year average. Saskatchewan is 14% seeded. They're normally 23% uh, seeded. And Alberta is 20% seeded. They're typically, that's almost the five-year average in Alberta, where it's been, you remember we talked about drier to the west. So. The Northern Plains and the Eastern part of the Canadian prairies are uh, struggling, really struggling to get these crops in the ground. So, um, and why are they struggling? Well, they are struggling because mother nature just won't knock it off. You can see uh, Minnesota, uh, quite a bit more moisture. Um, now the Northern two thirds of Minnesota was forecast to get some moisture, not quite this much. Pretty much the whole state got more moisture than expected. Uh, North Dakota got more moisture than expected. Um, it was certainly in the seven-day forecast that I showed you last week. Um, but really, the heart of the Midwest wasn't too bad. They got a bit more rain in the eastern Corn Belt. Um, that's what I talked about. The uh, U.S. model was putting that in. Um, but when you look at the seven-day forecast, this is kind of where this is again. This you're looking at the, uh, the what they term the U.S. model, the GSF model. Um, you can see quite a bit more rain. Remember the second week out, the six to 10 and eight to 14 day I showed you last week had a lot of brown on it. Um, this has been a, a pretty significant change in the maps. You can see Minnesota very wet again, North Dakota very wet again. You can see the Southern half or two thirds of Illinois, uh, quite a bit more moisture than was in the forecast a week ago. But like I said, the European model does not have this much moisture in it. So uh, let's hope that the European model uh, rain supreme. We could certainly use this moisture kind of clearing out. You could see uh, up into Manitoba uh, as well, southern Manitoba, that uh, uh, moisture that we don't need there to try to get this crop planted uh, as well. And when you look out into the second week, got quite a bit of green there on the right-hand side is your precip map. It's going to cool off a little bit, but I don't know that that's necessarily too big a deal at this point. Although, was I hearing you saying that they're talking about possible snow in North Dakota again? I didn't say that, but I heard, I can't remember if Nate or, or um, Dave Mack was talking about that. Unbelievable. 
Um, but at any rate, uh, here's your forecast. And again, uh, not necessarily exactly what the doctor ordered here. Do get some drying, it looks like, in both the 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day out in the, in the northern plains. Minnesota stays wet. Uh, uh, all or part of Minnesota wait stays wet in both of those windows. And you saw Minnesota was wet in the, in the uh, seven-day forecast. So um, probably going to be okay in the heart of the Corn Belt here, but it looks like another challenging year uh, for different reasons uh, up in the Northern Plains. So, and I believe that is our story this week, and we are sticking to it uh, as we've, uh, oh, I guess we're going to cut touch on dairy here real quick. I forgot about that. Uh, Scott, you want to take us through dairy real quick here? Yeah, we, in both butter and cheese this past week, we rallied uh, late in the week. We saw some demand. We we got those prices down into the uh, mid-220s for cheese and then rallied back, you know, 10 cents uh, a pound. When you, you see the butter there, we got down to 261 and rallied back hard 274 yesterday. Um, if you go to the next slide, uh, we'll just see a little bit of, the, uh, of what we got out of the WASD. Um, it, it's kind of middle of the road for Uncle Sam and the WASD at this point. They're kind of playing the averages and, and, and they don't get too far astray. Um, they're looking for a, a, you know, a barely positive uh, milk production forecast, but that's actually higher than what uh, Amy at AES is calling for. Um, and then if you look at their dairy prices there at the bottom, look at the red box. All of those prices are, you know, solidly in the two-digit uh, uh, plus range year over year. And if you focus on the top two, cheese at almost 30% higher year over year and butter at over 50% higher year over year. Now, does that far right-hand column, is that their forecast for 23 that prices will come back right. down? Right, and, and then prices should come back down again in 23, but that's way, way out there on the, uh, in the future for them. Yeah, and with, there, with there historically high prices, I guess that's not a complete shock either, is right. it? Right. And then this is dairy cow slaughter. Um, the, the, the USDA is noting that uh, our, our numbers for both 22 and 23 are going to stay pretty close to where they have been. And this is actually Amy's uh, chart of the four-week moving average of, of slaughter. And you can see that red line has fallen pretty significantly just at the start of April. So it, it kind of tells you that, um, you know, maybe those herd declines that we've been talking about are slowing, uh, mainly because we aren't taking Bessie to, to the slaughterhouse. So um, we'll see. We'll see. It's down uh, uh, year to date. It's down 3%, a little more than 3% versus what it was a year yep. ago. We keep waiting for high prices to be the cure for high prices. So uh, maybe this is an, an indicator, but uh uh, this has been the most relentless bull market that I've seen in my uh, almost 40 years in this business. So not just dairy, just pretty much across the commodity space. So that is our story, and we are sticking to it this week. Uh, again, as always, if you have any questions, there's the contact data. Again, please don't hesitate to, to shoot them off to us or give us a call. Uh, and as always, and especially in, the, especially in these crazy times in the commodity and supply chain space, be careful out there.